sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Racism continues to be, as it has been for decades and even centuries, certainly over the last few years though, a central problem, a central problem, question, point of discussion in American culture and civilization. What we're doing on Ignition today is looking at the Catholic perspective, and specifically actually the Catholic response to racism. What do we as Catholics, what can we, in light of our heritage and our tradition, in our Catholic faith, what can we do in response to the problem of racism. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we continue on with this topic for racism, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do so is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. And I'm joined uh, via internet um, video by Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Omar, how are you? I'm well. How about you? Good, thank you. So, um, gonna actually let's just in case people didn't listen to last week's episode, which we'll briefly recap for those folks. But that was episode 458 of Ignition. We looked at the Catholic perspective on racism. We're gonna look at the response today. But if folks didn't uh, have a chance to yet to listen to last week's episode, would you mind introducing yourself to us? Yeah, not at all. Um, Deacon Omar Gutierrez, Deacon of the Archdiocese of Omaha at St. Peter's Parish, uh, President and co-founder of the Evangelium Institute, which works here in the Archdiocese, and Director of the Propagation of the Faith Office um, with the Archdiocese, and uh, happily married 17 years in the summer with five kiddos. Great, great. Um, so last week, I just want to dive right in. Last week, we talked about the Catholic perspective on racism. Um, you shared some of your own personal experience. Uh, is, how do you describe, Deacon Omar, how do you, what, your racial background heritage? What, what do you, how do you refer to yourself? I'm Hispanic or Latino. Okay, Hispanic or Latino. So some of the... the, the um, Hispanic racism that you've experienced yourself, but then also some anecdotes uh, from the experience of others as well. Um, we, we talked about really what we're looking at today is I described it in the introduction, um, the, not a political, but a Catholic perspective on the problem of racism. Then I, I really loved um, the threefold distinction that you made among uh, with regard to racism, that there's sort of uh, natural racism or natural prejudice, which is sort of a tribal thing. People who look, think, act differently than me. I sort of just naturally distrust. Um, but then there's classical racism, where uh, which says that certain um, people, because of their race, are simply inferior. Um, nothing, no, no evaluation of the individual because of their race. They are inferior to other races. And then finally, we talked about uh, what, what's called political racism or how, what you described as political racism today. Uh, that might include things like systemic racism, critical race theory, um, anti-racism. Uh, before we get into the Catholic response, I just want to, especially that third one, Deacon, because um, I think most of our listeners probably recognize that there can be sort of that natural quote-unquote tribal racism mm -hmm. distrust that we have certainly could recognize the problem of classical racism where individuals but even as you described organizations or groups 
um, within society even today can uh, claim that certain people simply because of their race are inferior. Uh, it's the third one that I think is a bit um, more complicated uh, mm-hmm. from a Catholic perspective, political racism. It's, uh, any any comments like uh, about that in general, but especially about the idea of anti-racism? Yeah, so I'll just I'll sort of comment very briefly on the first two, and then we we'll spend most of our time talking about this political racism issue. But regarding sort of that natural racism um, uh, and the Catholic response to that, um, uh, you know, the, again, this the idea that uh, I just tend to sort of trust people who look like me versus those who don't. Um, there is something that we seem to have lost here in society, which is um, tolerance of the faux pas. Right? Mm. It's just sort of like. I made a mistake. <laughs> and so I gave the example, for instance, of Deacon Harold Berksevis, who had somebody um, uh, assume because he was a very large black man and went to Notre Dame that he must have been a football player. Um, that was a faux pas, right? It was a mistake. Um, and we should have tolerance toward each other for those sorts of things. Um, in terms of classical racism, uh, the, I, like you very well reiterated, that the idea that one race is definitely better than the other Um uh, and, and superior, that should be opposed. And it is uh, a sin and should be um, condemned as a sin. And the church has been very clear about that. Um, the U.S. bishop's document, uh, Open Wide Our Hearts, defines racism uh, with that classical racism notion right there. Um, and so that should always be opposed. But we have more recently, to, to get to your question about the political actually, racism, we have more be, recently... Before um, you go there, Deacon, actually, can I interject? Yeah. So... Uh, I love how you're intertwining the Catholic response here to this. So to just to reiterate, um, with the first one, we um, we should be more tolerant, forgiving. If somebody makes a mistake, don't just assume it's a racist thing. Yeah. It may have just been a faux pas. What about me, though? What's like for me as the one... <laughs> the one who made or might make the faux pas? Like, is uh-huh. there anything else that we should say from a Catholic perspective about avoiding the faux pas? Yeah, certainly. Right. So it's being conscious for ourselves where my own, um, and again, I, the other years, word I used for this is sort of prejudice where my own prejudice might be, again, it may not be, um, uh, a malicious prejudice and just, it may be ignorance. Um, uh, but where that might be, I'll, I'll, I remember, <laughs> I remember, uh, very, very quickly, uh, it was, I was just given a talk and I was walking the parking lot and I was in the elevator with somebody and she was trying to make a connection with me and, and she was talking and, and what she said to me was not about Hispanics, it was about um, African-Americans, but it was, it was really, I mean, it, it was very bad. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it came on, it would be racist, right? Okay. Not because she's racist, right? But the, the, what she was saying was rooted so much in her own ignorance Um that uh, that it, it really came off very badly. So what I wanted her to realize was that sometimes we can be blinded to our own prejudice. And so we need to be helped in that way. And sometimes when a faux pas happens, it's appropriate for then somebody to say, hey, look, that, that was inappropriate. And then for the person receiving that to be humble enough to receive it and say, okay, thank you. Thanks for not biting my head off. Thanks for not accusing me of being a racist. Um, I, I need to think of that. Uh, aspect better. Okay, so that that that's a great distinction. So it's that not a racist um, necessarily. That remark is not indicative indicative that you're racist or remarks like that faux pas. But yeah. we should uh, just try to become more of our blind spots, our own prejudices, as you said, so we yeah. can avoid those faux pas in the future. Classical yeah. racism, uh, uh, you had summarized, I think uh, one way, it totally evil, evil and sinful, and we have to work to eliminate it. Um, yeah. as and as, it does exist. 
this tyranny I say, right? So that's, you know, in the last episode, you said some people in, re- in response to the, the maybe the, the other extremes are going to say, oh, racism doesn't exist here in the United States at all. I, it does, right? And I have evidence of that. We have proof of that. And, and by racism, I mean classical racism, the idea that one race is better intellectually, physically, and morally to another race. That does exist in the United States. It exists amongst uh, uh, whites. There, there are groups of, of whites and white supremacists in the United States. I think that phrase is overly used, but it does exist. It is here, uh, and we should be aware of that. Okay, great. So now the third category then, as you described it, is political racism, which I briefly summarized. Yeah, so let's let's talk more about that and the Catholic response to it. Yeah, so... Um, the, the problem with this kind of uh, political racism is that it defines racism in a way that makes it impossible for someone to argue against it. Um, mm. By that, I mean, it's set up in a way so that, and, and the, my first experience of this actually was years ago. Chris, you may be old enough and you probably won't admit to it because you're a better person than I am. But um, when I was young, I used to watch MTV uh, and there was a show called The Real World. Yeah. And there was an argument between two of the characters who were actually it was one of the first like reality television shows. Um, and one of the guys was was black and one of the guys was white. And and uh, the black guy was accusing the white guy of racism. And the white guy was saying, what are you talking about? I have black friends. I, I, I don't have a racist bone in my body. And the black guy said racism is race plus power um and what what that means therefore is even if the black person in the in in question believes that uh blacks or african-americans are morally superior intellectually superior and physically better than all white people which is the definition of classical racism that black person cannot be racist because they lack socioeconomic and political power um that, that kind of uh, definition of racism is incompatible with the Catholic understanding of sin, uh, and incompatible with the Catholic understanding of, of, of racism, uh, and, and even uh, the way society does and ought to work. Because so, so a lot of people, well, some people, uh, no, 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 no. Well, well, actually, they might. Let me make a distinction there. Um, they might say, well, that might be incompatible with the church's teaching, but it's still true. Right. Uh, so that so then we have to do two things. One is uh, suss out exactly how it's incompatible with the church's teaching and then look at in what ways is it true and is it not true. Okay. So in terms of it being incompatible with the church's teaching, the church is teaching about racism is that's a sin. Okay. Um, it's a moral evil. It's a violation of justice. It's a violation of the human dignity of the other person. Okay. So it's a sin. Now we define sin as a, a choice, as, as something that you choose. You you cannot, um, or in in the definition of sin in, in in the catechism, it requires the freedom. Right. It requires liberty. You have to be able to to choose to sin. It's a choice. The the definition of racism that's used in political racism eliminates the person's uh, individuality and intention. So it no longer matters what your intention is anymore under that definition um, by virtue of the fact that you are white and that's all I need to know about you. You are a racist. Um, that's fundamentally incompatible with the definition of racism the church uses because the church's understanding is that it's sin and 
intention matters in sin, as does object and end, all those aspects of what a sin is. Um, so it's incompatible. You cannot refer to it that way. So, so a sin, so uh, if something's a moral evil, that's another way of synonym maybe for something to be a sin. Well, a sin, as you're saying here, requires intentionality on my yes. part to do something specifically evil uh, right. in this context against somebody else because of their skin color. So again, classical racism is what we're talking about here. It's evil, period. Uh, and, and so I'm a racist if I... Even if I never say anything, but if I think that because so you specifically, you're Hispanic and I'm white and you by virtue of me being white, I am superior to you because Hispanics are inferior to whites. That's that would be classical racism. And yeah. it's a, 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 a serious sin, a grave sin, a mortal sin, which I would commit by holding even just that thought. Yeah. But that's distinct. It's, it's a great man. It's a violation of according to the U.S. bishops as they talk about it. It's a violation of justice and violation of one of the sort of the, the fundamental truths of human dignity that is at the heart of the church's moral teaching. Yeah. Okay. But then political racism, though, the, the, the it's incompatible because it, it denies that racism um, requires that intentionality, which a moral evil requires. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So what about so, just real quick, and maybe uh, maybe you'll come back to this, but mm-hmm. the church does have this idea of, quote unquote, it's an analogous sense of sin, but social sin or structures of sin. Does that, is that relevant here? You're nodding. So I it think is, it is relevant, but, but right. So um, the, the idea of social or structural sin is something that's been in the church for a while. And it's certainly with the rise of liberation theology in Latin America, it was something that was used quite often. Uh, and in the church's social teaching, it is addressed. So especially in Pope St. John Paul II's encyclical, um, 1987 encyclical, Solicitudo Rei Socialis, um, uh, or on the social conditions, he, uh, he addresses this question of, all right, so, so is there such a thing as structural sin? Um, what political racism theorists would call maybe a systemic racism. Yep. And he's going to say that, yes, there, there is such a thing. So we, and, and we know just intellectually, experientially here in the United States, there is such a thing as social sin, structural sin, systemic racism, because we've seen it in slavery. We've seen it in Jim Crow. So that actually does exist. We can't talk about it that way. However, says St. John Paul II, as we talk about that, we can never forget that that structural sin is maintained by individuals. Mm. It's maintained by individual choices, individuals making choices or choosing not to act, whether it's sins of omission or commission, doesn't matter. It still comes down to the individuals involved. So where you can still talk about social or structures of sin or systemic racism, we always have to go back to the fact that we're still talking about individuals. uh, And as we look to try to solve the problems of systemic racism or social sin or structures of sin, uh, we're dealing with individual human persons. So, would it be f- accurate to say that systemic racism then requires classical racism, racism to exist? W- is it possible to have systemic racism without classical racism, at least at the individual level, do you think? That's a good question. Uh, I, I, yes and no, right? So I think that's the experience the United States has been that classical racism is, a, is the sine qua non for systemic racism here. But I can also see that political racism, that is the idea that in order for um, me to fix the problem of, let's say, inequality between whites and blacks, I need, therefore, to suppress whites um, and so uh, engage in the kind of classical racism where blacks are superior to whites. In order to do that, um, 
I don't necessarily need to believe in classical racism. I just need to believe in political racism, which ends up essentially being racist. Being racist. Okay. If you're just tuning this, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with Deacon Omar Gutierrez about the Catholic response to the problem of racism. And we're, we we we've made this distinction between natural racism, um, classical racism, and political racism. The first the first one we sh- can just be a faux pas. It's not necessarily morally evil. We should avoid it, but also be tolerant of it for those who unwittingly fall into it. Classical racism. Racism, evil, sinful. We need to continue to work to eradicate it. Political racism is a bit more uh, uh, problematic, for, as as we've been saying from a classical perspective. It's incompatible. It's 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 so cl- political racism is incompatible with Catholicism. We're talking about that, and we're going to get into sort of just then evaluating the truth of um, political racism, regardless of its compatibility with Catholicism. So, Deacon, is there anything else you want to say about its compatibility or incompatibility? Um, with Catholicism? No, I, I think that's the, the incompatibility thing sort of, sort of um, is, is summed up with that, the fact that it's, um, it, it eliminates intentionality. And so it, it goes against the church's understanding of what a moral sin is. Um, but to your point about uh, structures of sin and systemic racism, et cetera, uh, we do have to recognize that you can have, let's say, past cultures that were classically racist and put in systems that perpetuate yes. a, a racist, systemic racist sort of a situation um, that just simply continue by inertia, right? right. Uh, because people just do it. So even though the people made themselves um, not be classically racist, uh, it's just the, the way things are is the way things we've always done them. And so those things perpetuate in, in, in perpetuity in the society. And so we do have to be careful to make sure that there are certain systems um, uh, that are, are do not continue and do not continue to oppress certain classes. The, the question really being asked today is do those systems exist? We know they've existed in the past. Do those systems exist today? Um, are the disparities that exist in society caused by those systems? Um, are there other explanations for that? And how should we approach that? Um, and as a Catholic, and as somebody whose background is in Catholic social teaching, and, and the social teaching often tries to look at sort of the the root causes of any number of various uh, problems in society, um, it's always very important that we, we, we do a couple of things. One, um, again, defining terms. So what do we mean by social justice, for instance? Um, and two, and this is just sort of uh, my own personal thing, uh, try to avoid mono explanations for everything, for every mm. phenomena. Um, society is complicated enough <laughs> So that uh, I could look at a particular phenomena of disparity, for instance, and note that, yes, part of the disparity is caused by racism, current or past racism, but it's also caused by B and C and D and E and F. Um, And the more we don't talk about B, C, D and F, right, um, is um, uh, means that we don't address those issues because we're too focused on A, uh, which in in many of the conversations publicly is, is usually around racism. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be unfair to you and see if you can give me, I'm going to frame it you with a yes or no question. And you can say, Chris, it's too complicated. You have to make more distinctions. Does does systemic racism exist in the United States? Uh, I think it does, um, but not in the ways people often think. Okay, so I'm curious to know what that is. My other question um, we, we talked about this briefly at the end of the last episode, uh, and I mentioned it earlier in this episode. 
the the term anti-racism, good or bad? Uh, the term anti-racism, <laughs> it, the term itself, the word, the phrase itself, is just fine, right? The way it's being used by Ibram Kendi, for instance, um, uh, sets up a system that is incompatible with, I think, uh, kind of social teaching, um, and uh, sets up a system that um, is uncharitable in the end. Yeah. Okay, so we've got about. <sighs> Not enough time. <laughs> Seven minutes left. So I, I really like to hear you uh, expand on both of those answers that you just gave. But I also know that you've got something more positive to say uh, yeah. in terms of how we respond as Catholics to the problem of racism in all its distinctions. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give over control to you, Deacon. Okay. So uh, with regard to systemic racism, um, we we know systemic racism exists in the past and things like redlining. Yes. Um, uh, and we also know that there are parts in this in this country where, um, for instance, um, uh, access to certain loans, access to certain um, uh, benefits of society are limited to certain uh, ethnic groups. We, we know that happens. And whether or not it's a matter of law um, is a separate issue. It's maybe part of the culture in that particular part of the country. We, we know that happens. Thankfully, though, there are laws against that sort of thing. Um, uh, and so, uh, whereas in the past there was not much uh, one could do when one countered it, uh, one can do a great deal about it now. So, there was a, a New York Times piece last year that pointed out um, differentiations in and real estate um, uh, appraisals for African-Americans. Um, and in each of the stories that they were pointing to as signs of systemic racism, in each of those stories, the individuals went to the banks or went to the, the state or the city, and it was it was reconciled, right? Because there are laws in place that make sure that doesn't happen. Um, what's, what's also true is we know that some of the poverty that exists within the African-American community today is a result of things like redlining in the past because African-Americans couldn't pass on wealth to the next generation generation, whereas white Americans could. Um, So um, uh, we know it's there. Does it exist to the degree that it did in the past? And this is part of my frustration. People want to say that certain things like the Electoral College, for instance, or the filibuster is a a sign of Jim Crow. No, it's not. That's not systemic racism. And that kind of thing only undermines what really was systemic racism in the past. Um, Now, moving then to this question of anti-racism, what ends up happening today is the this this the conversation is set up so that um, taking Ibram Kendi's anti-racism or how to be an anti-racist is the name of his book or White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Um, the the idea is this: you are by virtue of being white a racist. Why? Because you belong to a certain you have a color and you you have power. Um, your attempt to deny that you are a racist is itself a sign of your racism. That's white fragility. And what's more, if you are not working positively to end the racist structures that must exist and to explain the disparities in poverty, et cetera, um, you are therefore a racist, right? So it's essentially the same system that was used in the Soviet Union. Um, They accuse you of something. If you deny it, that's proof that you're guilty of it. And unless you work against it, then you're guilty of it anyway, right? So either way, in any way, you are guilty of racism, no matter what you say or do. Uh, The only way to prove you're not is to do exactly what we want you. And the things that we want you to do just happen to be sociopolitical public policy issues. Okay. Okay. 
So what's the kind of response in the end here to, to all of this? Uh, I think that the first thing, obviously, is um, uh, to try to always focus on Christ. Uh, in the larger culture, which has largely abandoned Christianity, sadly, it's more difficult. But within our own families, especially within our own Catholic communities, uh, we need to focus on, on, our, on our Lord uh, and the unity that he brings. Um, and the example that he gives, which is maximal love. Um, to love everybody to the, the, the nth degree, to the most that we could, because that's what we're actually called to do. Uh, and this is in response, I think, to the to the mono conversation around social justice, which we hear a lot about. Uh, in the previous episode, we talked about the social teaching and justice and, and my approach to it. Um, and to which I would just generally say, uh, justice is the bare minimum. What we're really called to is love, right? We were right. called to build a civilization of love. Right. Uh, and so if we can focus on that, that's the best thing. Uh, we also need to avoid oppositionism. So any ideology, and that's what we're talking about these days is ideologies, any ideologies that sets up from a starting point, opposition, that the, the explanation for everything that's going on is this group is really hateful of this group, uh, is, is an ideology we should reject as Christians. Um, we should love each each neighbor and every neighbor, um, regardless of their skin color. And that should always be the, the foundational uh, standpoint. Um, and then Practically speaking, I think we actually have to have these conversations. Um, in working as I do in these various fields, one of the things I've found, even though these conversations can be very tense, uh, is that uh, if we just start the conversation, um, that we can start to move towards some sort of healing. If people can feel like they, they can speak to each other uh, reasonably and well. Yeah. Okay. Um, you also have used in this context the term accompaniment. Yeah. Um, so, for those who really do struggle to try to figure out exactly what racism is, uh, especially those, let's say, in the white community who feel like they are, even in the Hispanic community, who feel like they're being accused of racism um, uh, and they don't feel it, it would be very helpful, I think, for them to uh, accompany, to talk, to befriend, to listen to, and you can do this anonymously, you can do this on YouTube if you want, um, to to listen to stories of racism uh, and see, you know, at the beginning of our last episode, I told you the story of Frank French Ricky and his friend who was discriminated against um, to, to walk with people who actually do experience racism because mm -hmm. racism does exist here in the United States still. And there are people who've experienced it like myself and others. Um, and so to hear those stories is important. Um, it's very important for us to listen to. And sometimes again, we can feel like it's, um, uh, I, I'm not a racist, and I don't want to be called racist because it's hurtful to even think that way. I, I understand, but it's um, it's important for us to accompany those uh, who who have experienced it. Likewise, those who have experienced it, it's also important for for us to walk with those who keep being called racist, even though they're not, right? And the mm. frustration that comes from that, uh, and to hear their pain when they are called racist when they're actually not. And we have one minute left, Deacon. I think you have a final uh, crucial point. Yeah, I would encourage people to um, look up and read the U.S. Bishop's document, uh, Open Wide Our Hearts. Um, it's actually, it's a very good document. It came out in 2018 before um, a lot of the, the recent stuff. It came out after some of the instances in Missouri, but it, it's before the, the, the riots in last summer, et cetera. Um, and so it comes from that lens. It gives a very good definition of racism. And, and I think places the conversation somewhere that might actually be a good practical thing for people to do to sit down in their parish communities and read that together uh, in order to be able to discuss it. 
Okay, great. So, Deacon, this has been a fantastic pair of episodes. Again, last episode, we really looked at those distinctions of forms of racism, and this episode looking at how we as Catholics respond to it. Uh, and again, the, the need uh, for us to pray and, and for the Lord to maybe illuminate our own prejudices and blind spots, mm-hmm. but then for us and how we can walk with and accompany others. Uh, any And what was the name of the document again for other resources? What was the name of the U.S.? Bishop's yeah, open wide our hearts. Open wide our hearts. 2018 from the U.S. Bishops Conference. Okay, great. Deacon Omar, thank you so much for being with us on Ignition. These two episodes have been very helpful, at least to me and I'm sure to our listeners as well. My pleasure. Thank you. And folks, that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, ignition at sfcatholic.org, with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. Until next time, may God bless you.